So today we're reading from Acts, chapter 5, verse 29 to the end of the chapter. 21 to the end of the chapter, sorry. Um, Now this is when the apostles were... It comes after the apostles have been preaching in Solomon's temple and the Sadducees are not liking it. And they actually put them in prison and... um, this is what happens. Oh, the, um, the angel of the Lord actually comes to them in prison and opens the doors for them and says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people. And we'll start at verse 21. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked, and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you, not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honour by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put them in outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. 
So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. And every day in the temple from house to house and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So far God's word. Well, well, thank you so much. It's an honour and a delight to be with you this morning. Uh, a few years ago, I was in Oxford in England, just for a couple of days, doing the tourist thing, and I went to a pub called the Eagle and Child, which is famous because that's where C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and their buddies used to meet to exchange ideas. We did a tour of the university, of course. The one of the newer colleges there is called Lineker College. It was established in 1962, named after a man called Thomas Lineker, who I'd never heard of, but in his time he was a contemporary of Henry VIII. In fact, he was the court physician to Henry, and in fact he established the Royal College of Physicians, so a, 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 great, a great man, and a scholar. He uh, knew Greek and Hebrew. At a time, of course, when the Bible was only in Greek, the Bible had been put into English, so nobody had read the Bible. Well, Thomas had a friend who was a priest, and he asked the priest for the Gospels. And the priest gave him, in Greek, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Thomas read them and gave them back to the priest and said this. These are either not the Gospels, or we are not Christians. Now I've been reading uh, these 30 first chapters of Acts, getting ready for today. Uh, and I kind of wondered, if, if Thomas had been given the Acts of the Apostles, he may have said to that priest, either this is not the Acts of the Apostles, or we are not the Church of Jesus Christ. Now, at the time, this is about the time when the Reformation was beginning, the church was in a mess, immoral and spiritual. It was just corrupt. The Pope was selling salvation like tickets to heaven. Like I get an email from Qantas, cheap flights to New York or London, they were giving cheap flights to heaven. It was just, just it's crying out for Reformation. Just awful. But having said that, as I read these chapters, I can't help but see the gulf between the vibrant life of the early church I want to see in many places around me. You know, they, they, they preach Christ and thousands come to faith. They were told by Luke they met in the temple and uh, in their homes daily. Daily. When I was in Pakistan, a missionary had been there since the 1960s said to me, Michael, is it true that Christians no longer go to church twice on Sundays? So, wow, <laughs> you have been here a long time. <laughs> I said, twice on Sunday if we're lucky, twice a month if we're lucky. In many places now, irregular attendance is the new normal. Back then, they, they wanted to be together. 
They would, they would sell their houses to help the poor believers. They'd sell their houses. Peter and John met a lame man. He spoke. He got up and began to walk and jump about. And we read here today, in today's passage, how with boldness they preached Christ in the face of suffering. Now, I don't say all this to put you on a guilt trip. They were, they were heady days. That was revival. Okay. They'd seen Jesus died and risen and ascended. When the apostles preached, the people heard them in their own language. They, 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 just, they just spoke in new languages. They were incredible days. And I don't think they met together daily for the rest of their lives. Things did, I think, settle down a bit. And you read the letters of the New Testament and problems begin to beset the church. But having said all that, there does seem to be something of a gulf between what's the life of that early church and the life of our churches today. So I think Luke gives us these events, not just to record history, but I think to inspire us and embolden us to preach Jesus like they did. Now, I want to look at this text today, which is a terrific passage, a story in three scenes. The first scene, back in the court. At this point in Acts, you see three recurring themes. First of all, the apostles do signs and wonders, and that draws a crowd. Secondly, they preach to the crowd, and many come to faith. That leads thirdly to the opposition and anger of the Jewish leaders. And that's what you see here in our story. Right before this, uh, people bring the sick to the apostles and were told they were all healed. Now that's probably exaggeration, but lots were healed. Then we're told they preach and multitudes of men and women come to faith. Multitudes. The leaders get jealous, the Jewish leaders get jealous, and they put them in prison. They lock them up, as we heard. They're behind bars. They've got guards around the prison. They're not preaching anymore. Well, guards and locks are no obstacle to God. Sends an angel, the prison doors are open, and they begin to preach. And they were back in court with the Sanhedrin, the 71 Jewish leaders. And I think this scene is kind of humorous. There are these Jewish leaders discussing how to stop them preaching. Went around the corner, what are they doing? They're out and about preaching. I think it's kind of funny. But they're not laughing. In fact, they're furious. Now these are the very men, remember, who a few weeks before, in that same place, condemned a man to be crucified. And I think they'd like to do the same thing to these apostles. And they pull them in and accuse them of three things. First, you have blatantly, shamelessly disobeyed us. We said don't preach and you keep on doing it. And second, you're causing an uproar, you're disturbing the peace. And three, you're out for revenge. You blame us for Christ's death, you want to turn the whole city against us. I mean, these men are really worked up. They are angry. So Peter stands up and says two things. 
First, we must obey God rather than you, than men. This wasn't our idea, okay? God raised Jesus. He said it at his right hand. He gave us the command to preach. He said preach. You said don't preach. What do we do? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? You all know the name William Wilberforce, who abolished the slave trade under God. He said once, God gave him two objects, two jobs in life. First, abolition of the slave trade. Second, he said, the reform of manners, to change the way people behaved. If you know the story, the parliament for years tried to stop Wilberforce. Slavery was the backbone of their economy. He faced enormous opposition. For decades he continued. Why? He said this. Great indeed are our opportunities. Great also is our responsibility. The time of reckoning will at length arrive. And we're finally summoned to the bar of God, not, not the pub, final judgment, to give an account of our stewardship. What plea can we have to urge in our defense? Very simply, God gave me a job to do. One day I'll answer to him for whether or not I did it. Therefore, I do it. We must obey God rather than men. And second, Peter says, while it's true you murdered Jesus, we're not out for revenge or to get back at you or to say you're going to get it in the neck. We're preaching this because through his death, for you and all people are the forgiveness of sins. That's why we're preaching. It's not, a, it's not against you. It's actually for you and your salvation. That's the first scene. Scene two. We hear the words of a wise teacher. His name is Gamaliel. He was the, the teacher of Paul, Saul of Tarsus. And he just gives them a word of caution. Guys, if this movement is of God and you oppose it, you're opposing God. Now, I don't think he believes that, actually, but it's a word of caution. And he mentions two messiahs who came and went. And if you read Jewish history, there'd be lots of so-called messiahs over 2,000 years or more. Before Jesus, there was a man called Simon of Perea, a man called Athrongus, Menahem ben Judah, after Jesus, there was Simon bar Kokhba, Moses of Crete, in the 5th century, 8th century, Ishad ben Yakub, and back in 1998, Menahem Schneerson. I've heard of none of them, nor of you, I guess. And that's the point. They came, had their moment in the sun, and they go and are forgotten. Now, of course, the statement that if it's of God, it'll last isn't generally true. There are many movements that, are, that false faiths that keep on going. But when it comes to messiahs, it's true. If this is not God, it won't last. Here we are today, 2,000 years later, here in this hall, 
talking about preaching Jesus. Uh, the World Christian Encyclopedia reckons that around more than two and a half million people every year convert to Christianity. It's growing. We're preaching. So by Gamaliel's reckoning, it's of God. So to oppose God's church is to oppose God. Just reckon that, he says. Then thirdly and finally, final scene, flogged but faithful, beaten but bold, persecuted but preaching. The Jewish leaders let them go, tell them to stop preaching, and then they just add, Lucius adds, and they had them flogged. Well, I guess that they can crucify an innocent man, they can flog his followers. But did they really think these guys would just disappear into the woodwork? Go back to fishing and forget all about this. Of course they won't. They're going to keep on preaching. We must obey God rather than men. I think the last words of this story are stunning. This is no Hollywood movie. I, I, I like action movies. My favorite is Die Hard 1. Yeah, I mean, take out the language. I mean, but we watch it pretty well every Christmas. It's our, it's our favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> right? It's a great movie, and it is a dumb, it's a dumb movie. If you, know, if you know John McClane, another story, he gets beaten up by these terrorists, these huge thugs. In bare feet like Ben, he runs across shattered glass, then crashes through a window and gets up to fight the next battle. I mean, really, how stupid is that? Here are these men who've been flogged. And I stub my toe, I'm moaning and complaining. They've been flogged with blood pouring down their backs, every step would be agony. Yet that seems to be completely forgotten. In their joy in preaching Jesus and their sense of privilege in doing that. It's incredible, isn't it? To the great, the great last verse of our passage. Every day they continued preaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They were unstoppable. I want to say three things uh, from this passage about why we're here today. First of all, be encouraged that this church is the church of God. You are his people. He is there to watch over you and protect you. He's on our side. And we'll keep on growing. Maybe not at the rate of a thousand every time we preach, but we'll keep on growing. That's why I've got, I've got no worries about the future of our church in Australia. Not at all. I mean, the census says this many people no longer tick the box. Stats, I, I give stats, stats little credibility. They don't tell a true story. I'm not worried about that. I'm not even worried that we're facing more persecution. Apparently in, in, in Melbourne, you can put a sign outside your, 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 your shop, no Christians. 
Compared to what these guys went through, that's nothing. We will grow. You know, there have been times in history when you would have given up in despair for the church. Just think of the church in the Soviet Union, last century. Decades of persecution. They say no church has suffered like that church. They reckon 200,000 martyrs. 99% of all church buildings were closed. That was the Soviet Union. It's gone now. Now, what's replaced it isn't a whole lot better. <laughs> but you can preach Jesus today in Russia. The great writer G.K. Chesterton once said, at least five times the faith has to all appearances gone to the dogs. In each of these cases, it was the dog who died. Be encouraged. We'll keep on growing. Be emboldened. Now, I was a history teacher. It's part of my DNA. So today you've had some history. You've had Thomas Lineker and Wilberforce. Here's one more for you. The great Danish theologian of the 19th century, Søren Kierkegaard. Denmark back then was nominally Christian. And Kierkegaard, about the church wrote this. The sort of men who now live can't send anything as so strong as the Christianity of the New Testament. Just as in the same sense that children can't stand drink, and he means by that alcohol, for which reason we prepare for them a little lemonade. And official Christianity is lemonade. Twaddle for the sort of beings that are now called men. It's the strongest thing they can stand. And this twaddle they call Christianity, just as children call their wine, or call their lemonade, wine. There's no twaddle in the preaching of the apostles. That they weren't lemonade Christians. They were witnesses. Now that word's drawn, as you know, from the courtroom. And to be a witness implies opposition. You give testimony, it's attacked. These men spoke and were attacked. And most, if not all, or most were martyred, were killed. The Greek word for witness is martus, which became martyr. Before COVID, I was in Turkey at a conference for missionaries in Afghanistan. Just, just 16 people. I remember being with them in a room and they were talking together that the year before, six of their colleagues had been killed. Not in a bomb blast. They had been targeted and shot to death. And these 16, including my brother-in-law, we're going back to Afghanistan to preach Jesus. That's not lemonade Christianity. The same year I was in Thailand at a similar conference. I met a couple there who had a new assignment, a new location. They were going to North Korea. 
Why would you go to spiritually the darkest, most oppressive nation in the world, except that they were convinced that's what God would have them do, and you must obey God rather than men? Now, they're just Christians. Not super preachers, not wonder workers, but men and women who believe that the world must hear that in Jesus alone is salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. I've got no plans to go to North Korea or Afghanistan. But I trust, if I were convinced that was God's will for me, out of the, out of the courage to do so. To go there and preach him sensitively, politely, wisely. But I will speak about him. When it comes to Jesus, I will not be silent. I'll preach Jesus. Lastly, to go back to the point I began with, that kind of disjunction between the early church, and us. How do I end this talk? I could say to you, so friends, get out there and tell your friends about Jesus. I hear that a lot in sermons. I, I coach preachers. I hear that all the time. Get out there, tell your friends about Jesus. And what would happen? Probably Nothing. That's why I hear it again and again and again. The apostles were given a command, but they wanted to. Back in chapter 4, when told not to preach, they say, we can't help ourselves, we can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. You can't shut us up. I fly quite a bit, well, I used to with my work, and uh, I fly, of course, economy. I mean, Trinity did offer to fly me out here business class, which is very kind of them. <laughs> um, but I, I fly economy. But once in a blue moon, or every fourth or fifth blue moon, they upgrade me. Uh, a few years ago, I was flying with my wife Sarah back from Singapore to Melbourne. And on the, as I went through the whole check-in, they switched our boarding, par our boarding cars. We got to board the plane, and, and the guy said, Oh, sir, business class, first on the left. Yes. <laughs> no one had to say to my wife, this is the lady, you must text your kids, you're in business. Sarah had barely sat down and she texted like, guess where we are, a business class. <laughs> when I had my first, second, third, fourth child, no one had to tell me, hey, tell your friends, you're now a father. When little Evie was born, my granddaughter no one has to tell me, <laughs> tell your friend you're a granddad. You couldn't shut me up. My next two years of sermons are full of Evie stories. Now these things are trivial compared to why we're here today, aren't they? Here's our problem. I've been a Christian for 50 years. And my problem is, I lose the wonder. The wonder 
that Jesus died for me. The wonder of sins forgiven. The wonder that God is my Father. The wonder I'm going to heaven. The wonder His Spirit fills me and is changing me. But when that wonder, should that wonder return, why? We cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. My prayer for today is God will give us the wonder of Jesus and the gospel. Then we'll be unstoppable. Let me pray. Father, we join our hearts today and confess together that we love you. We worship and adore you. We testify you are our, our reigning and risen King and Lord and Messiah and Saviour. You are our only hope. We confess the people around us are lost in their sins and facing eternal wrath. But forgive us, Lord, that in some sense maybe this wonder has, has faded somewhat. So please, I pray for us all here today. Fill us again with your Spirit. Help us to see again our crucified and risen Saviour. Fill us again with the wonder of our salvation. That we might, like those in the first days, long to come together, long to give to each other, and long to preach Jesus boldly, unashamedly, even in the face of opposition, for your glory and Adelaide's salvation. We pray this in his glorious name. Amen.